Good God almighty damn. It has been way too long, but it's almost time, Kyle. Welcome to the fifth episode of the David Land Podcast. Going to be IndyCar heavy, but we are going to be talking a few things outside of IndyCar, namely Fontana, and Kyle wants to get us on the F1 subject. So I guess we'll get on the F1 subject at some point today. Uh, good to see everybody in the chat. Kyle, how's your week been? Um, well, I've been playing a lot of NASCAR 15. Um, a, new, <laughs> okay. a new Skrillex album dropped since 2014, and I've been listening to that. And uh, yeah, if, in NASCAR race day is going in live in person again at Bristol. So I feel like I'm 15 again. It's been a great week. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, there's actually a video coming, hopefully tomorrow, because I've been working my proverbial bippy off on it. Um, I kind of went back in time as well, and uh, I am doing a retrospective on the 2005 St. Pete race. And it's really an interesting, it was kind of an interesting like rewatch and kind of, it was so much fun to me to like re uh, immerse myself in that world because like, I think a lot of like that era of IndyCar has been overshadowed by the split and rightfully so. But I looked back on that and said, well, God bless America. Like we had in 2005, we had two different chassis manufacturers, three engine manufacturers. We had a lot of big sponsors, good looking cars and a schedule that was 80% oval racing. And I said, you know what? <laughs> that wasn't too bad. <laughs> so, and it's almost, it's funny too, because it's like 2005 uh, IRL is like literally the opposite of what it is now. Um, and that's good things and that's bad things. And hopefully that video will be kind of an interesting uh, look into um, that era and, and kind of how it recontextualizes this era that we are currently living in. Kyle, how old were you in 2005? Just, just, uh, I would have been, I think four turning five, probably. Oh, oh dear God. Three oh, turning four. That's I don't know. That's, that's a problem. Uh, speaking of nostalgia, uh, wow. I did not realize how upset I would be about fun. I mean, I knew I would be mad. But I was mad on behalf of the fact that we're not going to get to see another 500-mile IndyCar race at Fontana. What I did not realize until this weekend was how much I'm going to miss cup cars on the 2000 or on the two-mile Fontana. Because, wow, uh, what an enjoyable race! In fact, enjoyable two races if you count Xfinity. I, I'm very disappointed, Kyle. I know why they're doing it. It's half a billion dollars of land. Yeah. $150 million more than the, I, I keep wanting to cuss, the bloody <laughs> Indy 500, the, not only the Indy 500, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and the series, the $150 million less than that was the money they got for Fontana. Does but, that at least make you feel better a little bit? Oh, hell no. No? No. <laughs> no. That makes me feel well, worse does it in at least, a lot it doesn't of ways. Make you, it doesn't make you feel better that, like, Oh, at least it was half a billion dollars. The reason we're getting no, no, because nothing is sacred. <laughs> They're going to build an Amazon warehouse on Fontana. I hate it. That's the worst. This is like the worst thing that could possibly happen to Fontana. 
I mean, I understand like it's not going going away for sure, but like I don't know, man. I I don't want to see a short track. So you're, uh, you're not you're not very confident in them build actually building a short track is what I'm hearing. So well, okay, so that's an interesting discussion because it seems like some people they they were definitely dancing around the issue on Fox yesterday. That it seemed like sometimes they would say, "Oh, well, um, this is the last race at Fontana," and then sometimes it would be the last Super Speedway race in Southern California, and then sometimes it was the last race on the two mile track. I, what do you think is going to happen here, Kyle? Do you think NASCAR actually sold all the land, or do you think they're actually going to hold on to a, a small parcel to not only build a racetrack, but do you think that racetrack is actually going to get done? Mm, I I think they'll hold on to a small parcel or I mean I it's tricky because now that like whatever they're doing they've said is at least going to take two years until we get a race in that region of California and you know the discussion we had on whether or not the clash should be a points race and the urgency from NASCAR to get a race in California makes me think that they really value having a race in that market. So that could be good news in them actually wanting to put a short track on that land and keeping the land. So it's tricky, but at the same point, at the same time, it's like with how much that land is worth, are they going to build a short track or are they going to see, Hey, we, we can make more money and we can put a points race at the clash and we can in turn make a boatload of cash and, uh, and just do that. take the easy road that maybe a lot of people won't like, but it's the easy road and it makes a lot of money. Oh boy. Oh boy. You just, you just put out a scenario, which is mm-hmm. worse than previously. Well, uh, I had worried about, well, it's NASCAR. What'd you expect? Well, that's, I mean, it's true. You're not wrong, but I mean, I had sit, I had sat here and I, I've been thinking this entire time with NASCAR. You, you mentioned it, you brought it up. NASCAR has an obsession with California. They have had an obsession with California essentially ever since they got a taste of the Hollywood apple in the mid nineties. Um, I, I always envisioned the reason that they, well, not only the fact that they can get half a billion dollars as we found out um, a couple days ago, but I always thought that them doing a short track as the finale is something I think they think the fans want, but I think NASCAR is sitting there going, well, how do we make that in California? Well, I've thought that they want to put together like a, uh, a Hollywood finale. Like it's the perfect NASCAR thing. It's like they can promote it. They can get all the stars out, have the finale at a short track in California um, at a track that they own. Um, and, and, and one that they can use more than once a year, uh, unlike the clash. Uh, so I, it's, it's interesting. It's very interesting to see where things are going. And it, God, could you imagine if it's just gone, gone? Uh, that's a scenario I, I hadn't really considered that greatly. But when you laid it out like that, that hurts. That hurts yeah, a lot. It really does. I I love because here's here's what's kind of crazy to me is the fact that we are now down to what four super speedways. Uh, in the country now with uh, and when I say super speedway, there's some, there's some debate on what that is. Um, I consider it over a track, 
an oval track over two miles. Well, I guess we have five. I almost left one out. Um, we're, we're down to five now in the country. Indianapolis, Daytona, Talladega, Pocono, and Michigan. And that's it. Uh, we lost Texas World, obviously. I mean, that was never coming back, but that sat dormant for a long time. And now uh, Fontana is is going the way of the dodo. So I I I hope property values don't go up in the uh, in the um, oh, what do they call that? I almost call it the Finger Lakes, but that's not right. I lived on the East Coast, and now I can't remember what the, the damn Pocono Mountains are called. But the Poconos, of course. Yeah. What? How stupid am I? Um, I hope property values don't go up in the Irish Hills of Michigan or the Pocono Mountains. Uh, because we will quickly be down to three. I will tell you this, Kyle. Since you and I took that random trip to Talladega, we're Talladega is never going away. Because I guarantee you, the property values out there in the middle of nowhere are not nearly half a million dollars. No, not at all. Talladega is safe. Talladega will be the cockroach. That one will survive longer than probably even Indianapolis, if I had to guess. But well, you're not uh, wrong. Well. Kyle, how about this? What was your favorite race at California Speedway? Uh, well, we did this last week, but the 2015 uh, IndyCar race, obviously. Yeah, I, w- I would tend to. Oh, we did do this last week. Was that a super chat? I feel like that yeah. was a super chat. Yeah. Shout out to whoever did that super chat because you were great minds think alike. Uh, I would I would tend to agree. Um, and I and I did. I mentioned now I'm remembering yeah. i mentioned the 2002 irl race because i was had a fun one yeah i had 2011 cup and then you changed my mind but that that 2015 indycar race was just perfect because you couldn't it, it got a lot of criticism for being a pack race but it it was but it wasn't like you you had to run the top to save your tires if you ran the bottom for too long you couldn't run it forever like it they were packed up and it was a it looked like a pack race, but there was lifting, there was tire strategy involved, and it just, you know, it was it was a great show all the way through. I, I don't think, and given the Fontana races that we had in IndyCar the years before that, it was just such a shock to see that, and it was just, uh, it was a shame that that was the last one. It was a hell of a way to go out, though. Yeah. Hell of a way to go out. And I'm, I... I'm so mad that we never got to see the, uh, the new body kits there, because, and we've never seen... The 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 IR eighteen body style on a two on a D shaped two mile super speedway like that. So frankly, we haven't even really seen them on a, a, a <laughs> one and a half mile track that has more than one lane. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's yeah, it, it that's kind of the big disappointing thing for me. Well, there's a couple of things that disappoint me about like IndyCar in Fontana. If we're talking about that, I mean, there was a time when and it's not even that long ago that the season ended with a 500 mile race. Yeah. Like yep. they did the three abreast start everything. Like it was Remember not long ago we had three 500 mile races <laughs> with a three wide start. Yeah, and a sponsor that was going to pay if you won them all. Yeah. Am- amazing how quickly things change, honestly. It's um we th- and, and definitely disappointing for sure. We thought we had it so so like we didn't think we had it that great back then either. Yeah, <laughs> no. Well, that's that's what's interesting with perspective is that, you know, you kind of you don't think it could get worse and then it does. And then you go, wait a second. <laughs> wait, go back, <laughs> go back. Um, 
before we before we get in too deep to the IndyCar stuff, let's talk a little bit of F1 because I, uh, you know, also their season starts, and I will make a quick complaint here. This isn't the Kyle gets <laughs> David in trouble segment yet, but why was St. Pete not last week like it was last year? Why yeah. why would you compete against Formula One season opener? I, I mean, I understand um, like you can't avoid NASCAR. Um, but like, why wouldn't you do the week after the Daytona 500 again, uh, and the week before F1, I, I really don't understand the scheduling this year. I'm sure there's some like town thing with St. Pete. Uh, that would be my guess of why it's not, um, uh, the previous yeah. week, like it was last week, but I thought it was so nice last year when we showed up in February, the week after the Daytona 500 and kicked the IndyCar season off. It's going to be tough to compete, I think, this weekend against Formula One for IndyCar. That's going to be an interesting comparison, by the way, to yeah, see what IndyCar's rating is on NBC. In I don't, I guess we can't really call it prime time, but it's going to be a, a good TV window um, when everybody's awake. And uh, Formula One in Bahrain, I don't even know when that's going to start. It's going to probably be at some ridiculous hour. Um, be interesting to see how close the the TV ratings are. 10 a.m. Both openers. Okay, that's not. Oh boy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, uh, what it will be, I will say this, and and I don't want to you know get too much into scheduling, but it'll be a great. If you're a race fan, uh, Sunday is going to be awesome. <laughs> yep. You can essentially watch whatever it's going to be. Probably eight hours of content between F1, IndyCar, and NASCAR, and essentially it's probably all going to essentially line up. Yeah, because cups, cups still on the West Coast, aren't they? So yeah, they're they're doing like Las a, Vegas. Yeah, it's probably like a 5 p.m. slot. So you pretty much get a perfect window of F1 IndyCar and then Cup. Yeah. So it'll be it'll be a good day to be a fan. Um, but I'm very interested and curious to see how the, the TV numbers eventually uh shake out. But Kyle, F1. I feel like you had a topic to discuss here, so hit me with it. Yes. Um, you didn't watch it, but I watched I'm on like episode three, four now, uh, but Drive to Survive season five hit last week, um, right before preseason testing. Perfect timing on their part, honestly. And they and, streamed preseason testing. Yeah, yeah, they did. Did you watch any of it? Do you have F one? No, I I need to buy F one TV. Yeah, I didn't even know that. they were streaming it. They kept it pretty low key that they were doing it, which I was a bit surprised about. Yeah, it's a, I just it's saw a, a screenshot and I was like, wait a second, they're streaming this. I thought they didn't stream it last year, so I I didn't know. Yeah, I would have. It, I should have bought F1, it. It's an F one TV thing. It's just like you get preseason testing with F one TV, and then you get F two and F three. So it's like again talking about how freaking great F one TV is. You get all the feeder series. You get preseason testing on top of the turning the commentary off and all the feeds and all the cool stuff. So once again, for probably like the third podcast in a row, F one TV is great. And NASCAR and IndyCar need to like just start working on it, guys. Start start getting that together. You need to do it. You know what's crazy? I discovered the other day that NHRA streams a channel twenty four seven. Did you know that? No. For free. Uh, if you have, I think it's the Tubi app on your. Mm. Uh, a lot of people have smart TVs now. If you just search NHRA, they have a TV channel running twenty four seven of NHRA content. It's original stuff that they've made, classic races. It's all really pretty high-quality stuff. And I didn't know this existed until about um, hmm. five days ago. And I was just like, wow, 
Amazing. <laughs> wow. Anyways, Drive Survive started, and it's always a debate every year on whether or not it's good. The last two years, it's gotten a lot of criticism to the point where they're in season four, Max Verstappen just declined to be in it. Well, Max Verstappen was in it this year, and I want to I wanted to bring it up because I feel like David's not going to have anything to say, but the chat might. Um, but I think it was pretty good so far from what I've seen. They do they have a lot of issues in like jumbling around races. Like in episode one, they go through Bahrain, and it's you see who wins Bahrain. It's race one of the season. That's how the episode ends, and they kind of focus on everybody in episode one a little bit. Episode two was focusing on Mercedes. And guess where the episode starts? It starts in preseason testing. And why are we? It's testing when the first episode was about Bahrain, the first race of the season. It's so like there's jumbling in it that's weird. They don't talk about Brazil 2022 at all. Um, they talk about they they go through the Silverstone race twice. I've seen two episodes now where they cover the the Joe Guan Yu crash, <laughs> full detail. Like how long do they make it? Do they go full oh Ricky Bobby like they yeah, did no, with do the... the thing where he flips over? It goes silent. They show the people in the garage. Will Buxton comes out. They show an Applebee's commercial over a racetrack. Like do they, it, do they show an Applebee's commercial? That that would be Michael. That's the meme I need to see right now because it that's how it feels the way they go through those things. Like <laughs> like you go to like th- three different interviews talking about the crash, and then it takes them five to ten minutes to tell you that the driver was okay. When anybody who's seen it already, which most people have that are watching Drive Survive, which maybe most people haven't, but it just it, 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 way over dramatized, and they they showed it twice, twice. It was. I mean, it was way. a it was a cool crash. I mean, you have to you have to admit. I mean, twice is spectacular. Two, two separate episodes, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but I do think it was better this year. It wasn't as bad as last year, like. Last year, they legitimately tried to make it seem like Daniel Ricardo and Lando Norris hated each other, which is was not accurate. I think Lando Norris recently just put up a YouTube video, like watching Drive Survive, like getting his reactions, and he was like complaining about it. He was <laughs> so well, and that's that's kind of like so. I I was an early, I was one of the people that kind of found out about Drive to Survive pretty early. Um, because what's this is kind of a narrative that people have have spread, which isn't really, I think, right. Um, I understand why why the narrative exists now. A lot of people say like COVID made Drive to Survive. No, uh, Drive to Survive was already like ramping up uh, with with without the lockdowns. Like I remember standing on the pit lane at Indianapolis in 2019, and I was just talking with I think a photographer and maybe a PR person, and just the three of us just kind of brought up this F1 show that was on Netflix and it was just kind of like, Oh yeah. Wow. A lot of people are know this and are talking about this. I mean, yes, it was kind of contained at that time in racing, but I mean, I noticed it right away that people were talking about it and they were talking about it so positively that I'm like, I got to check this out. I checked it out. Uh, I watched the Haas episode, like everybody said to, um, and I was, I, I was not impressed. Uh, and and it kind of ran me away because what I went in expecting, I think, I think I got sold something that I don't think drive to survive actually is because when I hear a racing documentary, I'm thinking about like national geographic at an F1 race. 
And that's not what Drive to Survive is. Drive to Survive is days of our lives at an F1 race. And when I watched it, I'm just like, what the hell is this? This isn't about racing. It's about drama. It's and about- not like the good drama. It's fake crap. And I just didn't like it. And I, and I haven't gone back and watched it since. Drive to Survive is about how many times every driver and team principal says the F word. That is what Drive Survive is about. I, I mean, it's yeah, and that's fine. And, and and honestly, like, do the Drive to Survive uh, fans get annoying from time to time? Yes. Yes. But am I am I do I not want them there? Uh, no, I think it's great that the sport has um, expanded through through Drive to Survive, and I think it's done a great thing for younger fans. I think uh, it's given younger fans the ability to understand how to meme uh, auto racing and actually get those memes out into like the general public where, you know, believe it or not, like memes are a great way to, to market now. Uh, And if you have a good meme, like a Gunther Steiner or anything to do with, uh, with Max or, or Lewis um, or, or Charles Leclerc at this point with his banana suit, like it, 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 it resonates and it means something now. And it's, uh, it, it, believe it or not, it's gotten people to tune into Formula One in this country, which is something that we were told time and time again that Americans would never do. And they're doing it in higher numbers than we've ever seen before. Yeah, one of the wildest things about Drive to Survive is right now, if you look on Netflix, I don't know if at the moment it's still like this, but when I tuned in, Drive to Survive, if you go on Netflix, the little like popular right now on netflix drive survive is number four overall on everything on netflix wow like as a whole so like if you're how many people do you think turn on netflix every day and you're going on there and the first thing you see is this f1 show at number four that's that's impressive and that's that that does that moves the needle for sure that's amazing and if we're talking about casuals um ESPN pushes Formula One like they do. I mean, if I when I would watch Monday Night Football, they would do like their little like sizzle reel of all the things that ESPN's proud of. And like there's F1, like loud, proud and prominent right up at the front of all these ESPN promos in the middle of winter. You know, Formula One's been gone for for a month or whatever. And I'm sitting there watching the Colts get absolutely trounced on Monday Night Football. (laughs) And I'm seeing Lewis Hamilton on my TV. And and that. You know, and I'm sure, and I believe it or not, I don't watch much ESPN anymore. I don't think a lot of people do because, quite frankly, um, I get bored of the same five people yelling at each other about draft picks uh, for the 15th time this week. But I, I imagine if you turn on F1 right now and you watch an hour of television, you probably will get at least one ad telling you, "Hey, tune in to the Bahrain Grand Prix at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time." That would be my guess. Yep. Last thing about F1, did you look at any of the times for testing? Is there anyone that stands out to you? What are kind of your Bahrain predictions? Well, I think like a lot of people, I'm very curious about the uh, the Aston Martin this year. Yep. That car uh, looks the business, um, even just from like sitting still. You kind of go, wow, they, they, really, <laughs> like, they really threw the kitchen sink at it. And this time, they didn't blatantly copy anybody. So I think it will be fun. I think, as you know, uh, Fernando Alonso is a very interesting and intriguing prospect, as he always is. Um, 
why he's still in F1, we might actually find out this year. And the fact that Lance Stroll fell off his bicycle may lead to a Sebastian Vettel comeback, which I don't think anybody saw coming. So that could be fun too. Um, but I think uh, I, I think we're going to see more of the same. I don't think we're going to see too much different. I think the surprise will be whoever's behind the Red Bull, Ferrari, and Mercedes. But we'll see. I mean, I, I kind of expected last year we'd see a Braun GP situation of some sort. And we really didn't. It was all really the same three teams at the front of the field that we've seen before. Uh, I would be surprised if in the second year of the regulations, someone's going to come out of left field and and have a killer car. But I don't know. What do you think, Kyle? Um, I think uh, my first thought was the same as yours. I'm very curious about the Aston Martin. Um, just given... I think I saw a stat on Twitter where it was like two, uh, the Aston Martin and uh, Carlos Sainz and the Ferrari both did race simulation runs, like a 57 lap run, and Fernando Alonso ran quicker on a ra- on a full race 57 lap race run than the uh, Ferrari. So that doesn't really mean anything because Ferrari was testing like low downforce um, at the preseason test. So I'm pretty sure. So. I mean, we'll have to see, but it is it is just curious. And, uh, of course, it's Fernando Alonso, so anything can happen. Um, I would really hope for them to be um, a contender and have give us four teams in contention to, to possibly win races. Um, the other thing that I'm very curious about this year is uh, we're probably not going to see it until a couple races in like we did last year, but obviously – uh, with Ferrari having a new team principal, um, maybe some of the strategy issues that we saw last year might resolve themselves. That's another thing from watching Drivers Survive that I really realized. And that's like the one thing that they did like a really good job at uh, this season was showing how terrible Ferrari was at strategy last year. Like, oh, <laughs> my gosh, because they the way they dissected it was perfect. And the, just the mistakes they made were just so silly and so blatant. Uh, it just we're probably gonna have to wait and see uh, a couple races, um, because that's normally typically when Ferraris tends to fall as a not in the first race but throughout the season. But yeah, with a new team principal, it's gonna be interesting to see if they can uh fix these issues and actually uh give us a, a, a tighter fight. But Red Bull is always they're the leading the leading contender, you know, they usually have the if they have the fastest car, then if they don't have the fastest car, they usually have the best strategy and uh, they don't really mess up too often on pit lane. So uh, yeah, it's, it should be a, I think it's going to be fun. I think the general consensus last year was at least uh, for the first half of the year, Ferrari had the best car and had they had the strategy to match it, or even at least keep up with it, we might've been talking a very different championship towards the end of the season. So it will be interesting to see what's going on with formula one. But there are some things going on with IndyCar as well. Rule changes? What? In a spec series? Yeah. We actually, you know what? Here's the thing, Kyle. You know what's interesting? And maybe just like my expectations are now so low. I, when when all these rule changes kind of got dumped on us about a week ago, I was actually like, it perked me up. Like in a way that has, I haven't been perked up in a while. Because like, one of the things with like, the past couple of years with IndyCar and there's a cup, there's a lot of different reasons why it's been this way. 
but the cars themselves haven't really changed all that much. There hasn't been a lot of change to the racing product on track. When you go to a racetrack, you kind of expect what it's going to be like. Um, because it's going to be similar to how it was last year. There have been some changes to the rules this year, at least at one track, that are really going to shake up things. And a couple of other rules changes that we may or may not see throughout the season come into play. Um, the first one I want to talk about is something that uh, you and I kind of had an inside track to know was coming a little bit early, uh, was the fact that they've changed the red flag rules for qualifying, um, which is good because now the uh, the red flags are no longer going to count against the clock, which I don't know why they didn't change this earlier, seeing as they are on Peacock for every single qualifying and there is no such thing as like a TV window that they have to fit into anymore. But I think this is going to make qualifying uh, – it's it's definitely going to make the grids more um, or less unpredictable because we saw a couple of times last year where guys got into the fast 12 and fast 6 that maybe weren't really there on pace, um, but they did because of timely red flags. That was fun, but from like a competition perspective, I think this is a little bit better. What do you think, Kyle? Yeah, it, it... – <laughs> No more uh, getting mad at qualifying is how I think of it. There's There were so many times where it was just a red flag would come out and it would just totally botch the starting field. And, uh, yeah, now we don't even have to worry about that. And uh, a lot of drivers, they don't have to worry about it anymore either. They don't have to – they don't – you know, qualifying, if you qualified poorly and you had a top five car, now you don't have that excuse of, well, we got screwed in qualifying. So uh, I think it gives everybody a fair – a fair shake and uh yeah it's the right thing to do and it, i can't believe it didn't happen like three years ago but yeah well better better late than never i think it's going to be it's it's a positive change and i'm i'm curious about the first time we're going to see it i mean st pete qualifying is usually an absolute demolition derby i think there yeah. were like three cars that crashed in it last year um so i i, I imagine we're probably going to get it right out the gate uh, at St. Pete, uh, see it, see that uh, rule change in action. I the still next think. Oh. I still think <clears throat> we could argue about this. Uh -oh. I still think qualifying in IndyCar is just the the format as a whole is weird. Like I, I still don't know if I agree with the 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 way the splitting of the groups goes, and then the way they sort them, yeah. because it would make a lot more sense to me. I mean, obviously, we already get a bunch of arguing about blocking and qualifying and people getting each other's way. But the way they, they sort them, like I could, I could qualify with a time fast enough for 12th. And because I'm like eighth or ninth in my group, I'm qualified like 18th. I think that's weird. I think that sucks. <laughs> now, yeah. if you were to just send all of them out there and then split it in half to 12 for the second round, then guess what? It's fair because if you qualify with the 12th fastest time, then you or the 13th fastest time. Guess what? You qualify 13th instead of like 18th if you were in a group. Plus the groups, a lot of times I they get sorted by practice, right? The groups. I, or the I think they do. I think they take odds and evens from practice, which is kind of weird. Yeah. So like, that's so how they do it. Sometimes in qualifying, you'll get one group where it's like every Penske car and then like three Ganassi cars, and then like one small team. And it's like, well, 
How's that yeah, fair? You kind of know who the fast six is going to be. And then and, the and, second group is like all small teams. And it's like, well, <laughs> once you get the 12, it's like, well, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's kind of been the weird thing with the groups. And and what what's funny about it sometimes is like you go into those group qualifying sessions where you like, let's say, for example, like you say, there's three Penske's and three Ganassi's in there. And and like Scott Dixon, like has a spin or something or Joseph's just slow. And you just miss a couple, like a couple of guys like start like 18th or 22nd who definitely should not be starting back there, but they do because of how the group shake out. Um, it's, it's a positive and negative. I don't, I don't, I'm not like hard line. I don't like it. Um, I, the one change I would make to qualifying is um, I would do for the fast six, I would do single car qualifying. Yep. That was what I was going to say as well as it needs yep. to happen. Like, yeah. Like the uh, the top ten shootout in supercars, like that. Yeah, you go watch a top ten shootout and watch when somebody puts down like a track record, and just tell me that the energy going on in that situation is not freaking incredible. Yeah, versus what we have now. It's better for the sponsors. Uh, You get them a whole lap where they're they got. I mean, it's Peacock, so it's you know, it's Peacock. uh, Say no more. But like, uh, you know, I I think one of the great things about um about uh, Indianapolis or uh, about Indianapolis is the fact that every, everybody gets TV time. Everybody. If you miss the show, you get TV time. In fact, you probably get more TV time than the guy that qualified 30th because you run so many times. Um, I, I, I would like to see that. And then you don't have any complaints about blocking your red flags anymore because uh, you know, it, if you crash the car, well, it was your fault. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love the idea of qualifying uh single well, single car one lap shootout because it's just that scenario of all eyes on you on one person or and if you're doing groups sometimes the guy who gets pole their pole lap will get missed you won't see it because you're the cameras are keeping an eye on someone else but if it's just one person all eyes on you you get one lap if you screw up you're gonna see it and it's only six cars so how long could it take and it's like you said, you're on Peacock. You don't really have a TV window. So, I mean, I, I think it would be incredible. Well, a lot of times um, no one goes out to the very end anyway. Yeah. So you'd probably get more bang for your buck with guys just doing one run each versus everybody going out all at once. And then TV misses the actual pole lap because they're showing the wrong car. I would imagine, too, if you if you filled up precisely for one lap, then the the lap times would even get uh cut down as well a little bit maybe yeah if you're yeah it'd be you like. probably break track records uh, more often uh just having single car runs on road courses for sure and that'd be fun that, that would be exciting <laughs> <laughs> um the next rule change is another interesting one because uh you and I were standing uh in the pit lane at Indianapolis after the GP the soggy GP and um, we tried to talk to a lot of different drivers. Only one of them talked to us, Connor Daly. Shout out to him. Uh, and he told us at the time, uh, whoa, boy, we got tr- we got trouble. Uh, we're in big trouble. We can't see. And I was like, what? Because I, I, I had no idea. And as we tried to talk to more drivers, I've never seen more like um, deer in the headlights looks from IndyCar drivers in my life after the indie rain race i mean those guys were spooked um because they couldn't see out of the aero screen 
And they have made a change this year. They've added a couple of wickers to the front, um, the front shot cover. And the idea is it's going to wick uh, that spray away from the arrow screen to get less water on top of it and hopefully uh, increase visibility. They've also made the uh, the rain lights bigger too as well. I yes, believe. yes, uh, because they've changed the rear attenuator. They've made it yep. a little bit longer. And, and like you said, they made the, the, the light bigger and brighter, which uh, good change uh, should help with rear impacts as well as being able to uh, hopefully see in the rain. The question that I have, and I think a lot of people have looking at those rain wickers is when are they going to put them because they're going to make them, them mandatory. They said they're mandatory parts, um, but they didn't specify when they're going to be mandatory. They did not test with them at thermal. So it would say to me that it's going to be mandatory when it's raining, but does that mean a threat of rain? Does that mean cars will start the race without them and then gain them throughout the race if it starts to rain? I, that's the question that I have, and I have yet to see a clarification on that particular rule. I mean, what what are your thoughts on, on the new rain rules, Kyle? Yeah, I, I hope they work. And like you said, we just need a clarification now on, you know, what we hope they don't do is call a yellow and bring them in to put on these things when it starts raining. What we'd like them to do is say, hey, it's a pretty good chance of rain. We're putting these things on. Uh, it would be interesting to me because these pieces on the front that they put on for the rain are pretty big. So mm -hmm. in the dry, what aerodynamic advantages or maybe disadvantages would they have as well? If, if it, it's forecasted for rain, we put them on, doesn't rain, what do these things do downforce-wise? I I'm gonna make a guess here that it will be those rain wickers are going to be like the um the the air scoop on the top of the aero screen for cooling. They'll probably my guess would be they'll just make a call before the race starts and say, okay, you gotta run them or you don't gotta run them. It's not gonna be there's not gonna be an in between. Um, I the the worry I would have that I will say this, Kyle, they will not it in a position where uh, they put the teams in a position where they can experiment with them or want to run those in the wind tunnel to see if they make the car any faster or make more downforce that's not indycar's mo right now they do not want um i don't think they want teams messing with aero stuff just wondering um, so if it like if it's something like what it does if they run them in the dry is it gonna mess with the setup is it gonna mess with passing like dirty air what's it gonna do that's that's my only question with it uh maybe i mean I, i'm sure i'm sure there's not um i'm sure there is an effect of some kind i i just the only thing i hope that they don't do is i do fear a scenario where they don't start the race with those uh wickers yeah. on the car and it rains and they yellow flag the race so that everybody has to go in and change the shot cover that would be silly. I hope, I pray to God that that does not happen because that's one of the, we were talking about this last week, I think about NASCAR in the rain. It's the worst thing about a NASCAR rain race is they, um, they yellow flag the race so people yeah. can change to rain tires. It should be, in my opinion, uh, rain equipment should be up to the team to, uh, you know, it's the team's responsibility to get that stuff on the car, in my opinion. 
That was one of the um, best parts about the GP last year was guys just flinging it out there on dries, just hoping it, it was better just to throw something mm-hmm. at it and dry some. So yeah. yeah. They threw a yellow and you just, everybody had a free opportunity to change the wets. Then that ruins part of the fun of a rain race. Well, we were sitting there and, and Pato uh, last year at the, at the uh, rain race, we thought he was either going to look like a genius or, or look foolish when he went, stayed on the dries um, because it was like, you know, cause it, it was so iffy with that rain. It was like, it's either going to bucket down or it's just going to go away. So you're right. I mean, that was a very exciting part of that race was the strategy and some of the guys screwing up those strategies, uh, cars that cars and drivers that probably should have been at the front of that thing were not because they screwed the strategy up. And I think, you know, and I think that's a big thing as we kind of continue down the rules package talk is that the more options you can present to the teams to make the cars different, uh, I think that will improve the racing because you you all you don't want everybody to have the exact same setup because the the changes or the differences between each car, especially on the oval tracks, is going to be so minute that you're really not going to promote a whole lot of passing. If everybody's welded together the entire time, that's not going to be very exciting. And so it kind of goes to the next thing I wanted to talk about, which is that they are increasing downforce, not only at all the oval tracks, but at Indianapolis in particular, I believe I saw a number. They're increasing the downforce by 10% over last year. That's pretty, uh, that's a lot. Uh, that they that the teams now have, uh, and it is an optional change. Um, they've actually changed the stalks of the rear wing uh, to allow teams to crank more rear wing into the car than they've previously been able to. Um, Indianapolis has been one of the things that has been brought up quite a bit, uh, both in front of the scenes and behind the scenes, as a race that I think everybody would like to see improve. From a from a show perspective, and let's not get it twisted. Uh, it has been a fun race to watch the last couple of years, but it's been obvious that it's tough to pass uh, when you're not running first or second. We've known yeah. that for a couple of years. Um, a 10 percent increase in downforce will probably help. My question is going to be, and my question always is, with the spec nature of IndyCar right now, what seems to happen more often than not though it didn't happen last year uh, with the Wickers. Uh, Ganassi, I think, ran without Wickers the entire race, um, and the rest of the field did. But oftentimes, a downforce combination is hit upon by someone, and everybody copies it, and then nothing really has changed, and everybody, the field still runs the same way they always do. Do we think increasing downforce is going to, uh, I don't want to say fix the Indy 500, but is it going to make it a more competitive show for 200 laps. Well, we, what we've learned in the last few years is that it doesn't really matter. What matters the most is the weather. Because if it's if it's hot, a 10% increase in downforce might help a little bit, but it's not going to it's not going to help the racing as much as, you know, when we have weather like 2021 where it was damn near perfect and the cars were able to pass, they were able to race each other and uh I mean, it, it might help, but like you said, everybody just copies each other in whatever arrow configuration they have. I remember remember when they added the uh, the extra flaps on the front wing at Pocono, and 
Everybody ran it. <laughs> guess guess what? Nothing changed. I mean, it was still it was the Pocono from the year before, just with added things on the front wing to make it easier to drive. I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the thing that I wonder. Um, I guess the one thing because because here's the I, I've said this a couple of times. I, first of all, not an aerodynamicist. I'm I'm a YouTuber. Okay, but one of the things that I think we're just gonna have to accept is that this particular chassis that they are running, no matter what body kit you put on it, no matter what you do to it, like there's a specific way that it is going to race. Uh, And it's very difficult to change that without changing the chassis. We saw in the early DW12 era, in fact, the best racing with this particular car was when they were absolutely loaded up on downforce with the aero kits. Uh, So this particular DW12 chassis loves a lot of downforce. So if you increase the downforce, theoretically, it will make the racing better. But I think to have a real change and maybe go back to some racing where it, it's a little bit like it used to be, where it's more of like a, a uh, more of a set them up and pass them halfway down the straightaway rather than dive bomb them at the end of the straightaway sort of thing you'd have to change the chassis because there's a lot of things. I, I think the underfloor is, is too big and too big of a part of the downforce. Maybe I, I would like to see them reduce the size of the floor. First of all, I'd like to see them increase horsepower. And I'd like to st- see them take away some body work to increase some drag. I think that would help the racing on the super speedways in my opinion, but that's not going to be able to change until we get a new car. And God only knows when that's going to happen. Yeah. Give us like another 20 years. Do we get that? Oh, <laughs> um, Just a big ray of sh- sunshine today, David. 20 well, years, new chassis. 20 years of trying. 20 years of frustration. Delara's made a new chassis. I, here's here's an interesting thing, though. We, we, we heard a lot of defense about the Gateway race last year. And there were at times, there were times where the Gateway race was exciting last year. But let's be honest with ourselves. Um no matter how many on-track passes you promote, it did not pass the eye test for 80% of that race. It was locked together, line of cars, nobody was passing anybody. There has been a change made, and it's a very exciting change. Uh, They are going to run, for the first time in a while, not the first time ever like some people have been reporting, um, they are going to have an alternate softer compound tire at gateway that teams will be required to use but uh we have not seen this in a while i'm excited but there's some talking points kyle i just want to hear your thoughts on gateway changing for this year yeah like you said we we got some pushback on saying the race wasn't very good last year and i i've thought about that a lot i've thought about that recently even before this change because that was weird because we were there in person and it felt like the majority of people that told us that was a good race were they were watching it on TV and we didn't see a whole lot. And the, my reasoning for like when it wasn't very good was I remember a specific moment when the leaders were trying to lap Ed Carpenter and they couldn't. It was a train of the leaders following the last place car and they couldn't pass the last place car. 
And the so, difference in lap time was like ridiculous. Like yeah. before they caught him, they were like half a second faster than him per lap. Like the leader caught Ed Carpenter, couldn't pass him, and that just let second, third, fourth, all of them catch up, and then they they just ran in a, a line around the track until Ed pitted. And it that it was strange because then it becomes the only thing that's exciting is that you're pit in when you pit. And <clears throat> adding the tires could lead to moments when you know, someone's out there on, on the primaries and you're out there on fresh reds. Well, guess what? That extra grip could let you pass, actually. So and it it could even open up an, an extra lane or two, uh, depending on the level of grip that the tires give you um, at Gateway. So it's a, it's a must-needed change. We heard rumblings about it last year, which was the fun part. Uh, well, I, I can tell you a story about that. Um, and, and I feel like the statute of limitations has kind of passed on this. Uh, so at the Iowa race weekend, uh, I arrived and I heard it from someone like early in the week. They said, hey, did you hear they're running alternate tires at Gateway? They're going to run alternate tires. At Gate-. I'm like, are you I'm like, that's crap. No, that I'm like, that's that's not true. And I ran into a, another person who's high up in a team and I kind of just floated. I said, guess what? bs i heard um uh, you know and and this person said oh yeah no that's a thing i'm like what and so and this person i believe so on the grid at the iowa race um i walked up uh to one of the pr people with firestone and i said hey heard this crazy rumor i i don't think it's true but i'm gonna ask you about it anyway i said alternate tires at gateway and that person the the jaw hit the floor like like deer in the headlights like she, and she was like I, I i can't talk about that i'm like okay see you later and uh that was when i knew it was it was true um why they didn't cuz they had tested it so that was kind of the story was they had gone there like in secret uh and, and tested with somebody i don't remember what team did it it might have been Aaron mclaren but I, I don't know for sure um and they went there and t- tested the alternate tires at Gateway. Now, why they didn't use it last year, I don't know. Um, but I- I'm pleased to see that they've made this change. Um, I have a couple of questions. The, the the first thing I see is a positive. And I think the biggest impact, there's two things that are going to be impactful in a positive way that the alternate tires will make. The first one is you're going to have the strategy, which is going to create comers and goers. One of those tires is going to be better than the other ones. Now, whether it's the black tires or whether it's the red tires that are the preferred tire, doesn't matter. It means that some of the field is going to be on one tire that's preferred and the other side of the, the aisle is going to be on a tire that's not so good. That means, hopefully, you'll have enough of a difference in lap time that you'll get some passing. The second way these alternate tires could pre- create some passing is that if the alternate red tires are grippy enough to overcome dirty air to a certain extent, if you can get a better run off the corner on red tires in dirty air behind a car on black tires, I think that is another way that you're going to promote passing. Now, on the other side of things, the one negative that I can see from this, um, marbles are already a problem at Gateway with one tire compound out there. With two different tire compounds, we've seen it on the road and street courses, particularly on the street courses, tires get eaten up, 
especially when you got softer and softer compounds running. So my question is going to be, how soft is Firestone going to make this tire? Because to help promote better racing, you might see them really go aggressively on it and do a really soft tire. That tire is going to wear more. It's going to create more rubber on the racetrack. That's going to narrow the groove. So what you're going to have to hope for is that if that groove narrows with a lot of marbles, that the tires are going to be grippy enough or different enough where you can get a run coming off of the corner, pass down the straightaway, and get back in line before you get to those marbles in three and four. That's how I see it. Yep. Uh, the other thing is going to be, I do you think if this works, is this, we were just talking about, is this another way that you could promote better racing at the 500? I, a red and a primary. Yes. Yes. Um, actually what's, what's interesting is that one of the greatest Indy 500s ever, in my opinion, is 1989. A lot of people point to that one. Uh, you, that's how you can tell an uneducated person. They point to 1989 and say, that was a terrible race because MO won by two laps. No. Uh, if you've watched the 1989 race, you would know that it's, it was really a three-way duel between Michael Andretti, uh, Alan Jr. And Emerson Fittipaldi, Michael blew an engine. He was out of it. But the reason Alan Jr. Had an opportunity to not only pass Emerson Fittipaldi, but lead the race uh, with two laps to go. And then eventually in traffic, make contact with MO and, and went into the wall. MO went on to win, but the reason Al Jr. was able to come up there and challenge Emerson, who had been the dominant car of the day, was the fact that Goodyear brought two different compounds to the race that year. In fact, they did that throughout the 80s and 90s a lot of times. I think it was when they switched over um, to the radial tires from the uh, bias ply tires that they'd been running before. Um, Goodyear brought two compounds. There was a, a, harder top, uh, a harder tire and an option softer compound. A lot of teams could not run the option tire because they were blistering them. Uh, it was hot outside, um, and and some cars were just uh, too hard on the tires for them to run. Well, the Gallus team figured out how to get Alan Jr. to run fast on the softer alternate tire, and he made up a ton of time on Emerson Fittipaldi, even to the point where he took the lead and looked like he was going to be able to win the race. But that duel was set up specifically because there were two different tire compounds. So to your point, Kyle, I hope that this gateway experiment works, and I would love to see alternate uh, tire compounds on the oval tracks. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was actually this was actually something that was brought up in that survey from a couple of years ago. Uh, that was one of the questions. Would you like to see alternate tire compounds on the ovals? And I remember answering an emphatic yes to that. Okay. I, I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. Well, and, and what's interesting too, and GP Labs brings up a great, um, a great point is that um, when Goodyear and Firestone were running both of those tire companies. So you had two tire companies competing and both of them brought alternate compounds. So you had potentially, you know, four different combinations of tire a strategy out on the track at one time and that was you know you want to talk about crazy i mean you wonder how the races were good back then that's how because the cars were different the strategy was different even the tires were different really throughout the entire field if you think about it so there probably wasn't 
one car that was on the grid in 1995 that had the same chassis, engine, and tire combination, or aerodynamic combination for that matter. I mean, just it was all different. And so uh, hopefully that's something we can kind of get back towards, start inching back towards in some ways, because I think that's that's the missing uh, that's the missing spice right now in IndyCar, in my opinion, is just the different options available to teams. And the more options we give the teams, I think the better the racing product and more compelling the racing product will be. Now, like a lot of the, <clears throat> the pressure needs to be on Firestone's shoulders here because the the tire like the the tires too often in a race uh in indycar the tires will be the same like there will not be enough difference between the blacks and the reds now how, for this to work they need to be different mm -hmm. i could totally see a scenario where the tires are too similar that it doesn't really make a difference and then people lose sight of that fact that it's firestone's fault that they aren't different and that's why it didn't work for it no. to work. They have to be different. There, there is definitely a scenario because I, I think, I think there is a scenario where Firestone is too conservative on it. Cause I think yeah. they will to a certain extent, like they're not going to bring a gumball tire. I'll just say that yeah. right now. I like, I, they will not bring a tire that goes off in two laps uh, if they can avoid it. Now they might accidentally do that, but they're not intentionally going to bring a tire that's like the the purple Pirelli from a couple of years ago in Formula yeah. One, right? Um, they're going to be conservative on it because one of the things that I think Firestone prides pride itself on, rightly so, is the fact that they very, very rarely have a tire failure. Very rarely. Um, and it's almost never their fault. It's usually a puncture of some sort. 100%. So what, what Firestone is going to want to get out of the gateway race is to not have a PR disaster. Like yeah. for the, from their perspective, they want to do this safely, but I think they're capable of doing it. Like they've done it before. And like, if you think back to cart, when they were competing with Goodyear, there weren't that many tire failures, even on the Goodyear side of things. So, you know, like I, I think people look at NASCAR in 1994 and kind of overblow the tire war thing a lot. Um, uh, oops, that, that I probably shouldn't have said it quite that way, but like, um, yeah, I, I think, I think, there's one, a couple of bad examples of that. Um, there was Michelin not being able to to build a tire for the tire the diamond grinding at, at IMS. Goodyear had that same trouble when they were the spec tire supplier of NASCAR. Um, but but on the whole, I I think I think they'll be able to handle this. Uh, I think like you say, I think the big question is going to be whether they they have enough of a delta between those two tires that, to make it actually uh, an impactful change. All right, let's talk about St. Pete, shall we? And I guess we'll talk a little bit about IndyCar in general uh, as we head in to the 2023 season. Good Lord, 2023. Uh, that's a big number. Um, Kyle, what are what are some storylines you're looking at going into this IndyCar season? Um, well, there's a lot of storylines that are the same as always. Like the the Joseph Newgarden, the Scott Dixon, they're gonna be championship contenders for sure. Obviously, uh, the teams I look at, I right now I'm I think a lot about Yunkos and the season they're gonna have, how they step it up and really really their second full time season and adding a second car. Um, I just learned that um, I I don't wanna I don't wanna absolutely 
destroy his name, but uh, Augustin Canapino. I think I they at least got his last uh, name. Aug- right? Augustine. 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 Not Augustine. Augustine. I, I'm I'm too Midwestern. To... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I I recently just learned that he just like a month or two ago the only English he knew was hello. Yeah. So, so going into the, th- that's going to be interesting. Uh, I, I can't wait to meet him. And, uh, cause he apparently he's been taking very, uh, uh what's the word? Like aggressive English crash, classes. crash course in English. He's cramming. cramming I, for saw, the test. I saw some of the, uh, I saw some of the, uh, uh, the, the, the content day stuff where he just, someone asked him who like his best friend was or someone on the train. He said, Ray Hall. And like, have you ever met him? He's like, no. <laughs> what? So I'm very interested. Very. I, I, I'm looking I forward see, to meeting August. I watched That's... and I I watched uh the uh the Yunkos just uploaded a YouTube video uh following Callum and uh I already uh, I guess Augustine. Augustine, there you go. Augustine, he's gonna become my new favorite driver. Uh, <laughs> You're not allowed to have favorites. Boo. Boo. Uh, but I just watched their YouTube video and 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 the 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 commitment that he has is incredible. I I'm very curious to see how he does and progresses through the season because he's, he doesn't come from open wheels. He, he does not like have a background. I don't think. Well, Jose Fraga Costa says something uh, very important uh, to note. And I think he's probably from Argentina. I would guess because Augustine is the Scott McLaughlin from Argentina. He came from touring cars. So same background as mm. Scott McLaughlin. Um, but obviously Argentinian touring cars, lot less uh, fan interaction than the supercars. I mean, I remember hearing about Scott McLaughlin uh, when he went to surfers one time and, and gave that uh, Jandal quote. Uh, I think he passed, was it Mark Winterbottom? I believe I, I, he like sent one on Mark Winterbottom and got out of the car and, and, and cussed on that, live TV. And it was great. It was Wincup. Was it, was it Wincup? It was one of the Red Bull car. We will be corrected shortly in the comments. I'm sure. Um, but all I remember is he was driving the Volvo and, and I remember just kind of sitting up and taking, taking note, like, Hey, that guy, that guy's pretty good. Didn't expect you to be an IndyCar car driver for team Penske. But, um, so if Augustine is, is I, on that yeah. same level as Scott McLaughlin from a driving standpoint, I mean, and, and we've seen the pace from Callum. I mean, I think I mentioned yeah. that a couple podcasts ago. I mean, he was right up there at uh in testing at thermal so i mean we'll see how it translates uh at saint pete but he was on the front row last year at laguna seca maybe we'll see it um mm-hmm. at barber uh when they finally get to a natural terrain road course but i i i bet you callum's gonna have have a big year yeah, be i've been st- i've been seeing a lot of uh a lot of callum i lot predictions on twitter a lot of talk about the about callum going into this year and, and hopeful expectations for him so uh, I've I've been thinking about him that team and and Callum a lot lately and and paying attention to what they do, um, and then the Ray Hall team because they were, let's be honest, they were bad last year. Yep. And specific specifically, who I'm watching this year, Christian Lundgaard, because I think out of the three, he was the one who showed uh, probably the most amount of pace, and now he's in the third, he's in the 45 car. Um, I don't think that'll make any difference. Uh, what I think they're doing. just changing the stickers, but they're finally in their own shop. They they finally have their sh- new shop built. <laughs> so this year, I think maybe we'll see uh, Christian Lundgaard competing for wins. Uh, I would, be, uh, well, he was competing with for wins last year. 
Yeah. And that's the thing to think about. He was second at the Indy GP, being damn near one uh, Nashville. I, I think let's say let's say Ray Hall takes even like a baby step up. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all really Lundgaard needs before he starts winning races. That's all he needs. Because I mean, yep. if they were that bad last year and he's running podiums at yep. the end of the year, like look out! I think that guy may really surprise some people. Yep. I, I would like to see Jack Harvey also make a bounce back. Because uh, boy, he's he's that career-defining year for Jack Harvey, I would say. For sure, and then uh, just other things that stand out to me going into the year. I think I think there's a lot of eyes on on Scott McLaughlin for sure because uh, you go from the, his first year, which was eh, okay. Had a couple moments in 2021. Last year, looks like a championship contender. Cleans up a few races. Has a good Indy. May- mm-hmm. he, maybe he's a championship contender at the end of the year. And plus, Indy's not double points anymore. So if if he did have it, if he, I would like to look at the points last year where you take out Indy, where Scott McLaughlin would be because he had a win right at the bat in the beginning of the season, smack dab in the middle at Mid Ohio, and then at the end of the year in Portland. And then outside of that, he was running in the top ten. And competing for top five and podiums. He won Nashville too, didn't he? Or was no. he second there? He was second. Okay. Scott Dixon won Nashville. That's right. You were like there and I wasn't. How did, yeah, but I, I was also watching it on TV. So, <laughs> um, but you know what? Here, here's something about St. Pete in particular. There's two trends that I notice at St. Pete every year. Number one, uh, St. Pete always, almost always has a driver kind of have a coming out party, whether they win or whether they dominate the race. It's one of the two things. We saw Robert Wickens do it in 2018. We saw Felix Rosenquist do it in 2019. We saw, um, we've seen Colton Herta do it a couple of times. We saw Scott McLaughlin do it this year. There's almost always a driver that you're not expecting that runs up at the front, competes very strongly, and kind of sets the tone for the rest of the year. Speaking of setting the tone for the rest of the year, the other thing that I notice and observe at St. Pete is oftentimes St. Pete will cost at least one person the championship because sometimes uh, you look at Joseph Newgarden the last couple of years. I know uh, we started the season at Barber uh, two years ago, but Joseph has had a bad race at the first race of the season the last couple of years. Scott Dixon a lot of times will have a bad St. Pete and be on the back foot the entire season. Sometimes he'll overcome it. Sometimes he won't. But we find oftentimes that if a driver has a bad St. Pete, whether or not they have a good rest of the season, oftentimes we're looking at St. Pete and saying, well, wait a second. If they had just finished in the top 10 at St. Pete, they would have won the championship. It's always interesting how it works that way. Yeah, for sure. Like it's interesting. You point out the, uh, the coming out parties at, at St. Pete. Cause I, the last year I, I made the mistake of having that same prediction where I, I think I thought I, when I did my predictions video, I think I said that like Grosjean was going to be on the poll or something like somebody, somebody knew like a rookie was going to win the poll and do, you know, do the, the Rosen quest or the Wiccans uh, type uh, run. And uh, this year, who would you think it would be? Who, who do you think this year has their, uh, their big, uh, the big weekend? Well, it's funny you should mention that because it will go into another hot take I'm going to have about this season. I think it's going to be Marcus Armstrong for Chip Ganassi Racing. 
I think he's the guy who I would point to and say, that guy is going to surprise everybody, but it really probably shouldn't be a surprise. And I'll also say something else about Marcus Armstrong, in my opinion, despite the fact that he's not running the ovals this year, I think he will still win the rookie of the year championship. That's a hot take. That's a, that's a big hot take. Roman Groshan almost did it uh, two years ago. Yeah, so it is not impossible. And Roman didn't win a race. If Marcus Armstrong goes out there and wins one or two races, I mean, it's not even going to be close. So what, what, what about Marcus Armstrong makes you have that uh, take? What, what? He's in a Ganassi car, first of all. Uh, the other rookies, let's see. We've got Augustine, who's a complete unknown. He could be Ayrton Senna, for all we know. Um, but he's in a Hunkos Hollinger car. Now, they could have a good season, but we're not 100% sure. The other rookie is Benjamin Peterson. He's driving for Foyt. And again, that's a team. They may be strong at St. Pete. They have been the last couple of years. But they're not going to be a race-winning contender throughout the entire course of the season. Uh, Stingray Rob is another one that could be interesting for Dale Coyne Racing. We know that they have a capability of winning the odd race here or there. But I think on the whole, Armstrong has the best pedigree and he's with the best team. And let's just look at history. Ordinarily, you're not really very smart if you bet against a New Zealander in an IndyCar race. All right. Fair. Fair enough. So... Is that your boldest prediction for for this weekend or this season? What, that's what's your probably, boldest take? That's bold. I don't know if that's that's the boldest I could go. I'd have to think about it because I don't know because there's some there's some interesting possibilities out there. I would probably I mean a bold I don't know if it's bold to say and I'm going to keep picking the Ganassi 11 car. Um Sato at the Indy 500 like I think that's that's a very intriguing possibility. I just uh, saw his betting odds are like plus two thousand. It's like, oh, dude, dear. are you put serious? money on it right now? Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, wait, this is not financial advice, but uh, yeah, <laughs> plus two thousand for Takuma Sato in a Ganassi car. Those are very good odds. Very uh, good odds. Very good odds. Uh, interesting. Um, I I think uh, you know who's another one that's going to sneak up on people. Uh, Kyle Kirkwood. Yeah. Quick and testing. Uh, and especially at St. Pete, uh, if it's not Armstrong, I, I think Kyle Kirkwood's going to be the guy who just suddenly shows up and shows out. And everybody's going to go, oh, where was this? Well, he got a he got a he got a, a hot rod, I think. I think he's got a hot rod this year. I, I'm very interested to see how the Andretti Autosport the team dynamic uh, changes or maybe doesn't change this year. Um, because as we know, it was very dysfunctional last year. Now, a lot of that had to do with the fact that Rossi was unhappy and he and Groshan didn't really get along all that much. But let's say Kyle Kirkwood goes in there and really starts winning a lot and challenging Colton Herta and challenging Roman Groshan. I wonder how the team dynamic is going to evolve over the course of the year if the Andretti guys start hammering on each other. Yeah, it's interesting you say uh, you bring up Kirkwood because that makes me wonder who do you think? So the three guys that had kind of iffy uh, 2022s that I'm curious to see how they do this year is Kirkwood, Grosjean, and uh, Rossi. And and two of them have moved. 
Rossi and, and uh, Kirkwood. So out of those three, who do you think is going to have the most impressive season? Kirkwood, because the expectations aren't there. Um, and I think his expectations and his confidence is going to be much higher in an Andretti car. I think there's still a chance that Rossi will get shaken at, at McLaren, especially considering the competition that he has there. A um, lot of strong drivers. It, and we know Rossi operates best when he's number one. Now, if Rossi comes out there at St. Pete and just blows everybody's doors off, uh, we may be having a different conversation. But I think from an expectation standpoint, I, th- I think of those three, it's Kirkwood that's going to have uh, the, the overall best season. Romain Grosjean is also an interesting one because it looked like he was going to blow everybody away at St. Pete last year, and then he ran into the back of Takuma Sato, and it was all downhill from there. So I, I don't know. That's an interesting one. I, I would definitely say expectations are probably low for Grosjean too, um, but I'd say they're lowest for Kirkwood, and I think he's got the highest ceiling. I feel like we've seen it before. It, it, Grosjean was an interesting one last year because it, it, when you compare his two IndyCar seasons, it's, it's almost like he ran better with the coin car. Like, Oh, it, he definitely did. He definitely did. 100%. It, I feel like we've seen that before. Is there anybody else? I, I just, I can't think of it. That I feel like San, it's Santino. Yeah. Santino. Yeah. Wait, Santino who, moves who, he's, a, he's another one interesting uh, that I, I'm interested to watch this year. Michael um, Cannon with, with Michael Santino. Cannon. That's interesting. That was exactly the combination at Foyt that was good, or uh, at uh, Coin that was good. So um, I, I'm I'm curious to see. I mean, they were, and again, Foyt has been strong at St. Pete. I mean, they got a what fourth place with Bourdais just a couple of years ago. Both of their cars were in the Fast Twelve last year, if I'm not mistaken. So I I, I think they're pretty much uh, they're close. They're a lot closer at St. Pete than they are at other tracks. Um, we're not doing super chat yet, but I did see GP Lap said one that's relevant to this particular discussion. Who's going to have a bad season? Mm. I don't want to wish any, any bad luck. Well, on you're not wishing, so but you, it, somebody's going to have a bad season. Who's going to have a bad oh. season? Oh. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's it's got to be. It's all, it almost has to be Grosjean, right? Ooh. You don't I, think he had a bad year last year? Well, I think he did. I just, I don't think it, I don't know how it could, what, what's changed that could make it better? Ah, uh, yeah. 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 No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. And plus, I think there, I think there's expectations still with Grosjean. It would be easy for me to pick, like, to say Stingray Rob is going to have a bad year because he's a rookie. Like he, He's not going to – I mean, I, I think he's going to do well and he's going to get probably some top tens and have some showings that shows that show he's good. But as a rookie in his first year, I don't expect him – I don't think he's going to have that many great runs. There's going to be a, a number of races, if I had to guess, where he's going to finish outside the top 20 or outside the top 15. So to say he's going to have a bad year, I mean, that's the expectations not there for him to have a good year. So I, I don't know. I don't know if it, he's going to have a bad year, but I'm going to be very curious to see Alex Pillow this year. Um, because last year, yes, he was dominant at Laguna Seca, but they, they did put an engine in there specifically for that race. Uh, so um, when you have a 500 mile limit or whatever it is, 
and you only have to go 200, you can run the wick a little bit higher than, than other races. And obviously we know Alex is capable. I don't think he's going to have a bad year because uh, the talent's not there. I just wonder in a lame duck year with Chip Ganassi racing, when everybody and their brother knows he's going to McLaren next year, um, how much support is he going to have over the other three drivers at his team? And this year you don't have Jimmy. So the bar is significantly higher at Ganassi to perform. So if you're not, if you are a guy who is going to leave, everybody knows you are going to leave. Are you going to get the kind of support, the kind of data that Scott Dixon, Marcus Erickson, Marcus Armstrong, and Takuma Sato are going to get? I would say probably not. So I think the expectations would be rightfully high because he's a talent. He's a champion of the series, Alex Below. But the situation that he's in is not an enviable one, in my opinion. I think we're going to see some of the uh, the ghosts come out of the closet, so to speak, uh, from last year and and how everything went down at Ganassi. It's 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 funny you mentioned uh, Chip Ganassi. The the one one driver that I want to talk about, and I guess I'll bring up another one because we have to mention. The two Swedish drivers I'm interested in seeing how they do this year is Ericsson and uh, Rosenquist because Ericsson last year after winning the 500 looked like he was pretty and even after especially after Iowa when Newgarden crashed and he got kind of that buffer back it looks like Ericsson was in a good spot to win the championship uh, but just didn't capitalize he didn't have bad runs he just didn't. I think he probably needed to win again, probably needed a, another podium or two. Is he going to be able to become the guy that wins more races and finishes on the podium more instead of being what he has been for the last two years in just a top five monster, top 10 guy that never wrecks? Like He needs to step up and become the guy that wins, finishes on the podium, and then he could honestly be a championship contender. And then I think about Felix Rosenquist as well, because like you say, everybody and their brother knows that Alex below is going to McLaren. So this is a make or break year for Rosenquist. If we thought it was last year, well, this year it is seems like for sure. Uh, he was knocking on the door a lot last year and uh, I hope, and it's, I would like to see him uh, take a, take it a, up a step and, and win some races and, uh, uh, be a, more competitive than he already was last year. Uh, well, so a couple of thoughts on that. Uh, Marcus Erickson, I think, is is pretty much there um, in terms of a championship contender. I mean, he was mathematically eligible last year. Um, you're right. He needs to win a little bit more. But, like, we can't take away the fact that he won the Indy 500. Like, he, Marcus Erickson has not won a race that has not been memorable yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, not to take anything away, but he's just – if you look at his stats and you just pay I was paying attention to it throughout the season last year. It's like the guy can finish top five all mm -hmm. year. If he wanted to, if he can't like he, he will, he will be in the top five. He'll be in the top 10. Rarely, if ever, is he outside the top 10, but he's just, he's never been that guy who's in the top three fighting for the wins. Most of the time when normally in that scenario, it's Joseph Newgarden Dixon, Polo, Erickson's never really in that conversation. And to be a true title contender like we saw last year, like Will Power and Newgarden, 
How did they catch Erickson? They won races and they finished on the podium. Erickson didn't because the crazy part is Erickson did not really screw up last year to lose the championship. He just finished top five instead of on the podium to win because that's how competitive IndyCar is, believe it or not, that finishing top five in every race is not going to win in the championship because Will Power and Joseph Newgarden, they're just going to keep winning races and they're going to beat you. I made one big mistake last year in my IndyCar commentary, and that was I underestimated Marcus Erickson, especially yeah, at the Indy 500. Kyle, do you know what you're doing right now? You're underestimating Marcus Erickson. I want to see him do it. I'm not hating on the guy. <laughs> I have nothing against him. I'm not saying Eric, Marcus Erickson sucks and needs to step. No, I'm but, but you're great. underestimating him. That's the he's thing. Great. You said exactly what better. I said last year, which is like, well, he'll be top three, but if it ever comes down to him racing Joseph or Scott for the 500, I just don't see how he can win. That's I'm not saying you have I'm just spoken saying, into existence of Marcus Erickson championship. I'm not. He's going to win ten races and the championship. You're going to stink up the season, and it's your fault. The difference between what you said and what I'm saying, you said, oh, yeah, he's going to be up there in the top five. I'm saying what he needs to do. I'm not saying what's going to happen. I'm saying what he needs to do. I also said do. I would jump off the back of the grandstand if he won the race. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I yeah, think I, I'm going to have to do that at some point. Um, but Felix. Now, Felix is a very interesting uh, uh, thought process because Felix has the same beef. Yeah, Fief. We love Fief. We need to get that name out there. Big Fief fan. Um, Fief, he uh, he has the same. T- they've changed the number on the car. It's the same team as it was last year. Felix is in much the same boat as Christian Lungard was, uh, or is going into the season where he was knocking on the door the whole second half of the season. Essentially, from Indy 500 on, Felix Rosenquist probably could have won two or three races if the cards had fallen the right way. In fact, I thought he was going to win Mid-Ohio if he hadn't had that engine failure. He probably would have run away with Mid-Ohio if he hadn't blown the engine up. Or, well, if the engine hadn't blown up. I don't think it was his fault. But um, the other interesting stat about Fief is that Felix Rosenquist is the only driver to finish in the top 10 in points last year that did not win a race. So that tells you that he was consistent. He was consistently at the front. He just needs that extra step. And he's going to be right there with the front runners in this series. And like you said, like a few people in the chat have said, this year he doesn't have the distraction of silly season. He knows what his situation is to a certain extent. And I think that Felix, the best way to ensure that he has a job next year is to win a lot of damn races. And I think he's capable of doing it. Crazy prediction. Uh-oh. I don't I don't think it's – I think Felix – do you think he's fighting for a job? Or do you think, do you think he's fighting for a job with McLaren again? Or do you think this is it? He's gonna have to find a new a new car next year. Well, I could I could see a scenario. I because so there's two there's two things, there's two things. Um, there's two dominoes that would fall potentially. Number one would be how impressive is Alex Pelot as a test driver for McLaren uh, in Formula One. Uh, Then the second question would be, will there be any Formula One opportunities opening up this silly season? Uh, Will Oscar Piastri or Lando Norris, will there be any scenario where those drivers have their contract broken, bought out, fired, whatever? Um, Now, that's not likely, but if there's an opportunity for Alex Pillow in Formula One... I think I would 
hazard a guess that Felix is probably safe at McLaren. Uh, if Alex Pillow and his only option is to race for Aero McLaren in IndyCar, I I would not be surprised. And I, I don't have any inside information on this outside of the fact that uh, Graham said in an interview after Toronto that mm-hmm. he would hire Fief if he could. Um, I could see him being at Ray Hall. That was going to be my crazy yeah. prediction, I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. Crazy outlandish prediction. At the beginning of 2023, about 2024, take it to the shank. I was going to. Yeah. When I, that I, happens, I, look back to this episode. We were a year ahead. I, I don't think I don't think you're wrong. And I don't think it's really that crazy or that off base. Like, we know the team likes him. Uh, things changed. Uh, I believe he had a, a girlfriend switch uh, in the middle of the season, which, which changed his opinion on some things. I think Felix wants to stay in the U.S. and race here. And... Um, I, I think he will stay here. I think that's yep. where he wants to be. I, I, you know, some people are bringing up Formula E. I, I don't think he wants to be there. Uh, no. That would be my opinion, uh, based on talking with him last year uh, on the record and um, and just kind of seeing what he said in like press conferences, for example, like and and the fact that he's driving in a McLaren Indy car this year, like he could have gone to Formula E if he wanted to be there, yeah, he and he's could've. not. So. I don't know. I, I don't think F- Felix is going to be. I think Felix will be in an Indy car in 2024. That would be that would be my hot take. Now, yep. whether it's McLaren, who knows? It depends how many drivers they sign uh, in the course of the offseason. Uh, hey, speaking of Kyle, it's time for you to get me in trouble. David, after watching Driver Survive season five and looking over Twitter and hating my life, uh, tell me in your opinion. Doesn't have to be F1, could be NASCAR, could be IndyCar. Which driver has the most toxic fan base right now? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I told you I was gonna get you in trouble. This oh week. boy. Huh. That's an interesting that's an interesting question. There's a lot, there's a few that come to mind. <sighs> I have to really think about that because I you see what's funny is like as I've gotten older, the Twitter circles that are like drama circles, like the kind of age, you kind of age out of them. Like you're not really in them anymore. Yeah. You yeah. see them sometimes, but like they're not at the forefront. I mentioned this as well because I remember, um, I think it was last week you mentioned that you used to hate Dale Jr. because of his fans. Yeah. So, so yeah. It, it is a thing where like fan no, bases of is. a driver can make you just irritated and not like a driver simply because of their fans. I mean, I, I think... You know, I think where you're going with this is 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 that um, the Lewis versus Max fans are just the most insufferable. Like that, when those two fan bases start fighting, it is the worst. Like it is the worst thing ever. Um, so I mean, I think they're both equally <laughs> at fault for being the worst fan base. Um, I know, I know when uh, when Simon wrecked Lando Norris at the iRacing yeah. race a couple of years ago. The Lando Norris fans were pretty, uh, <laughs> were pretty spicy. Um, I don't, I, but it's tough. If you bring up Abu Dhabi 2021 still, uh, and, yeah, and you're like, day, team LH is all over it. Yeah. Well, but I, I think later. there, yes, there are sore losers on the Lewis Hamilton side, but there are also sore winners on the Max Verstappen side. So I, I don't think anyone is innocent 
in yeah. in that like war that goes on online on a daily basis. So um it, it really just depends on the day between those two fan bases who's the worst. That would be my opinion. Mm. You didn't see that's what's funny is is modern day F1 has totally like stricken you from even mentioning like Chase Elliott fans or like Kyle Bush fans. It's not even close. Like, NASCAR doesn't crazy. have that kind of like NASCAR doesn't have that kind of juice anymore. Okay, but um, like 10 years ago in the US, we wouldn't even think about F1 Twitter fans. Oh, not at yeah. all. Especially if we even especially if we were here, you know, we wouldn't F- even F1 notice. in the US was like the chess club. Like that's what it was. Like everybody, everybody, like in the U.S., if you liked F1, it was like a secret handshake. Like nobody hated anybody. Yeah. It, it was like, oh, you watch F1? Oh, that's badass, dude. Like, what do you think of the last Grand Prix? Like that's that's what it was like. Uh, and now, yeah. And now that's sports car racing. <laughs> well, it, if they keep filling places up like they did Daytona, I hate to break it to you, it's gonna get. It's it's gonna we're quickly gonna lose our secret club. Um, yeah. But but I don't I don't mind that so much. I mean, like the whole idea is like we're supposed to be trying to grow this sport, right? So like, I mean, the greater your population, the more chance or the higher percentage of people that are gonna be complete jerk heads are gonna be. So like, I mean, you have to take the good with the bad with F one. Like, yeah, it's not our secret club anymore. Um, but. There's more U.S. involvement, more U.S. interest than there ever has been in Formula One. So, like, okay, I guess, I guess, well, I know what my answer would be. I mean, like, if you said, hey, David, do you want 2007 F1 back? I would say yes in a heartbeat because I would get my speed channel back and I would get my my cars that look cool and and V8 engines and all XYZ. I'd have a race in Indianapolis, which would be kind of neat. But, like, um, you know, if you look at it objectively – like F1 now is is much healthier than it was uh, in this country, you know, 10 or 20 years ago. So I don't know. It, it's good that it's big and more people are able to make money in, in racing, which I think is good um, because I, I think that's a big I think that's a big thing holding racing back. Honestly, is there's a lot of people who either work for free or uh, or are underpaid for the work that they do. And I would like to see that's one big thing that I think. IndyCar especially would benefit from is more people being able to like take that step and become like a full-time IndyCar person or personality. F1's got that now in droves. Well, you heard it here first, uh, Twitter. David hates uh, Team LH. He uh, hates Charles Leclerc and he hates puppies. And uh, you should definitely go after Especially him. Roscoe. <laughs> And I hate banana costumes. Ooh, and especially the Lando Norris fans. He especially doesn't like the Lando Norris fans. Well, right? I already pissed the Lando Norris fans <laughs> off by saying it's a video game, bro, a hundred times. Like, we already did that. I already did that. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> well, that's fun. Well, we'll see. We'll see if uh, it Twitter listens to this podcast. Uh, super chats. We got we got all sorts of super chats tonight. Uh, we got some big ones too, which I need to shout out. Uh, let's see. Why do the why do I make the thumbnails look so close together? Um, the first super chat comes from Napa Racing Fan 927, who says, What track should replace Fontana in NASCAR in 2024? Kyle? Uh Irwindale. Isn't isn't that also <laughs> closed? Did, no. I think that they shut down they shut that down, didn't they? No, and, and Ryan Vargas is gonna be very mad at you. Oh uh, uh, well. That. Sorry, Ryan. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw one out here that's really off the wall. Laguna Seca. 
Uh, yeah, it'd probably be good. Yeah. yeah. That's 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 my off the wall. That's what's fun about NASCAR. Like tracks that you usually can't pass in IndyCar, you just put some fenders on them, and it's like, yeah, if they're gonna pass, they're gonna hit each other, and it's gonna be fun. <laughs> 40, Forty cars at Laguna Seca would be amazing. Yeah. And you can't tell me that it wouldn't be. Um, uh, Taurus with a twenty dollars super chat. The two hundred million dollars uh, could raise to six hundred million dollar. Yeah, that's that's something we probably should have talked about. Is the fact they're talking about <laughs> taxing Andretti even more uh, than they already <laughs> were going to. Uh, fee for F one. Not spending anything on anything else. Uh, that puts Andretti's backers two hundred to six hundred million dollars in the red right at the start. Think about what that implies for how much ROI F one brings. Yep. No, Taurus, you're one hundred percent right. Like, if you can demand $600 million, and let's say the FIA finds that to be reasonable, um, a reasonable, like, tax or entry fee for F1, $600 million, uh, you're probably going to make that back, and then some, with an F1 team. Or at least that's what they would be projecting. So I, I'm very curious. Let, let's, I want to talk a little bit about this, F, this uh, Andretti thing. Uh, because I, I, Michael definitely stepped in it when he said they were greedy. There's no doubt about it. That was that was a big mistake. Um, how do you feel about them raising potentially tripling the price to go into F1 for Andretti? What do you think that means? Um, it's it's expected. Like it, the <clears throat> they're just gonna keep moving the goalposts to not let Michael in. Like that's just how it's gonna be. Um, that price is absolutely insane. <laughs> yeah, like that's that's more than uh that's more than Fontana, right? Yeah, that's a hundred yeah. million more than Fontana. Which <laughs> means could have bought three hundred he could have bought IMS in this in the series. Holy smokes, I didn't even oh my god. So hold on, hold on. We really <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I did not even put two and two together. Michael Andretti <laughs> is about to spend twice what it would have cost. To not only buy the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but buy the damn series that he participates in for one F1 team. What? <laughs> Are you kidding me? David, and they've been they've been saying, wasn't Andretti one of the, the top like complainers about the aero kits and how expensive okay, they were? Okay, <laughs> now now you're now this is the real Kyle's trying to get David in trouble. <laughs> I've already said my piece on this, but yes. <laughs> yes, Mike. Like, yes, you can go back. Like, it's on record. Michael has complained <laughs> a few times before, a few times about cost in IndyCar. Yes, that has happened. That is a fact. I'm not saying anything out of school. You can go and look it up. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> all I'm saying is you could buy the damn track and the damn series twice to go F1 racing. So, Napa Racing Fan 927 says, Will Red Bull sell AlphaTauri? If so, Andretti buys. Uh, I, I don't think so. Um, I so here's an interesting. Well, here's another interesting Paddock story. When uh, when all that F1 stuff started breaking at Gateway in 2021, uh, Kyle and I seeked out a driver who might have some information on that sort of thing. Allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, now, this particular driver, I, I walked up to and said, so I've heard Michael's looking at buying Sauber. And this driver said to me, uh, well, I heard AlphaTauri, which is very interesting considering who this driver was. Um, now, 
as we kind of got down the the road, um, we found out that Colton Herta had been offered to Alvatari for this F1 season if they could get him a super license. Now, they were unable to do that, um, but that would seem to imply to me that uh, Alvatari is not for sale because why would – and maybe I'm misinterpreting that, but I, I don't think Red Bull is going to sell Alvatari. Tari. Turi. Yeah, it could be – I mean – it's interesting, right? Because I mean, there's potential there for a possible. Mm, I wouldn't say merger is the right word, but uh, like collaboration. It could could be Andretti Alfatori. You know, it it definitely opens the door for that, possibly. But I think Michael wants his own facility. He wants his own team. So I don't think that would be exactly an end goal. Now that would. Buying a stake in Alphatori, I don't because I don't think Alphatori, like you said, would be for sale for sale. Buying a stake in Alphatori would be the the perfect easy foot in the door to get Colton Herta in F one and get your name in F one for a few years before you you know finally convince the freaking rest of the teams to let you in. But I don't think that would work either. It's all a mess and it's all stupid. There's there's two <laughs> huge problems with that though. So number one, like it's not just Michael that like we need to like. It's not just Michael that wants to get an F1. Michael has backers, uh, the Guggenheim family, yeah. which owns Group 1001 and a, a baseball team. I can't remember if it's – I think it's the Dodgers maybe. I could be wrong about that. I think it's the Dodgers. Um, but they're kind of the big money behind Michael Andretti. Um, and now you also have General Motors behind Michael Andretti. This is a lot of money at stake here. And when you have a manufacturer and a title sponsor that are ready to go into F1 right now um, – Going to Alphatari and saying, "Hey, we're going to buy you know forty percent." Like he could have taken the Sauber deal if that's what he wanted to do, mm-hmm. um, but that's not what happened. So I, I just don't see. I don't see that happening. I really don't. And I could be wrong. I mean, if there's one thing the Andretti's have been really good about this F1 deal is they have been uh, very good at just like throwing information out there and just breaking the internet. So you, you said I actually didn't know that. So you're telling me. That Michael Andretti's IndyCar team has connections to the Dodgers and the Yankees, and the man is from Pennsylvania. Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And and it yeah. <laughs> uh, I almost said so. Yeah. So there's yeah yeah the two baseball team thing is is kind of interesting, but I'll just leave it at that. Um, Justin D says hi, Kyle, for five dollars. <laughs> hi, Justin. They they did a kissy face, so you've got a fan. Um. SNSD24 for $10 says Denny Hamlin spilled on his podcast today that he heard rumors that NASCAR might be looking at groove tires for less grip at the short track to overcome less horsepower. Like to hear your opinions. Wow. That's interesting. Um, F1 tried that and everyone hated it. So I, I don't know. I don't know about groove tires. I think they should just go back to like, do, do they, they still run by. I don't think they still run bias ply tires, do they? I'd rather they just go back to bias ply tires. I think that would help. I I always thought groove groove tires would be a good idea for NASCAR when they were facing their Gen Six issues with the high downforce. I always thought that like because they never mess with the tires. They never like they never did anything else but change the spoiler and the and the uh, the splitter. And it's like if you want them to not have as much grip, why don't we try 
try to run groove tires. I never thought about that for like IndyCar. Well, IndyCar, IndyCar, I mean, here's the thing. I've always thought the next big step in terms of IndyCar, like development, would be to like narrow the tires. I think that would be something that that would really challenge the engineers again. Hmm. Uh, that would take a lot of grip away too. Um, so I, I think that would be something that I would like to see. Maybe not grooves with Indy cars, but but narrowing the tires, uh, narrowing that patch. I think that could be interesting. But um, as far as tires goes in IndyCar, they already have enough issues they need to sort out. Where we have too many races, where the reds and the blacks are too similar, and the racing just it, there's not a tire strategy even. So, well, right, yeah. I mean, yeah, but but I think part of it just comes down to stagnation. Like nothing has changed for so long that like everybody's figured everything out. Yeah, that too. So maybe the tire compounds are just that different and the teams know how to adapt to them. I mean, that that literally could be part of it. Uh let's see, where are my super chats? Uh Henry Callahan for five says, uh, 20 years on from the first St. Pete Champ Car race, 18 since they went to the IRL. I love the races it produces. You think it will be a Ganassi Penske show again? I think there's a possibility. It's it's I mean, I don't think it's a total Penske Ganassi show that we're expecting. Like I said, I think there's always a chance someone pops off at St. Pete that we're not expecting. Um, but I will say to your point about how the longevity of the St. Petersburg Grand Prix is um, really it's turned into one of the classic races in IndyCar. Uh, it's it's a it's a traditional stop on the calendar now. Everybody likes it. The weather's usually pretty good, he says before he knocks on wood. Um, but I, I, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm all about St. Pete. Great race. Yeah, it's pretty perfect. It, it, it's a great city. It's a great track. The layout's fantastic. The weather's knock on wood, always great. Well, I'm not gonna knock on wood. I won't be there. So yeah. It, so if it rains, I get to just it's your watch fault. a rain race. I'll be happy. You know, I don't, I don't have to sit in the rain. Well, here's here's what I I said to a friend of ours about St. Pete uh, a couple days ago. Uh, you know, here's the thing about St. Pete. We've already been to the worst one, so like it can't get any worse. So it's all uphill. That's true. That's true. We went to the worst one and possibly the best one in the same year. That's that's a very good point. That 2020 race was when it actually did happen. Wow, it was. I think Paul Tracy made a reference to it was crazier than the Tiger King, uh, which was one of the all-time. Broadcasting very lines. Very fitting for a 2020 race, too, to say that. It was right up there with the Uber comment. Um, Napa Racing Fan 927 says, Who wins the IndyCar championship? Uh, he thinks it's going to be Scotty Mack. We'll start with Kyle. And actually, this probably is a good place to. Oh, it's Tara in a super chat. So it's not a place to end it quite yet, but uh, IndyCar championship. Oh, Scotty Mack's a good one. Like I mentioned about him. <clears throat> The, the progression he's had in IndyCar from year one to year two, I think year three is a probably the the first year that I would put Scotty Mack into I think he could win the championship. Um, But I think Joseph Newgarden's hungrier than ever. And it would be stupid given the stat I saw today. Well, Scotty Mack is a part – would count. But the Penske and Ganassi – have won every single IndyCar championship since 2013. So it would be dumb to not pick a Ganassi or Penske entry. So I got to pick Newgarden. But McLaughlin, to that point, is a good pick. 
Well, I I do agree that that McLaughlin is a good pick. Uh, I'm I'm gonna say that I agree. I believe in the Kyle Jinks, and I think it's gonna be Marcus Erickson who wins the championship <laughs> this year. Uh, but but honestly, I I think you know again he's you, you kind of see with IndyCar a guy will knock on the door and then kick it down the next year. So I kind of feel like Erickson Erickson's due. He's in the right car. He's got the confidence. Confidence. Uh, he's got the team. It's it's all right there. Uh, for the taking but I agree with you uh, Kyle Joseph's due uh, I think we're right about the time where Scott Dixon needs to win another championship because of course he does um, so all the usual suspects let me think of a name to really throw out there that's that's different I you know what <sighs> I want to say Pato I can see your mouth trying about to yeah. say a P. well I'm thinking about I'm thinking about it if he figures out consistency, and that's the same thing with Colton, um, if Pato or Colton figure out consistency, they're going to get super license points, and we'll never see them again. <laughs> we we barely even we talked about Andretti's dysfunction, like being dysfunctional, but we did not even we barely talked about Colton in this episode, which is crazy because last year I would have been only talking about Colton given the season, what he gave us, what he showed us in twenty twenty one. So interesting. <laughs> Well, I think the problem is the pattern with Colton is uh, you have a like five races where he's Ayrton Senna and then uh, 10 races where he's not. And I, again, if he kind of brings those two extremes kind of to a center point, he, he's a championship contender. Um, but we have to be careful what we wish for with Colton. Like I said, the minute he gets those super license points, toodaloo. Um, yeah. So... Uh, but but I think the fact that we're not talking about him probably I do agree means that he's gonna pop off and win every race and mm-hmm. win the championship. But um, we'll see, we'll see. Um, where are my damn super chats? Ah, here we go. Uh, Taurus for five says first time uh, first for first time St. Petersburg attendees. What are your five tips for the venue, Kyle? What are some tips uh, when you attend St. Pete? Um. What what are the what's the 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 food that you see everywhere? What's the arepas? Arepas, get the arepas. Um, okay. Definitely spend some time. I, I wouldn't watch the race there, but spend some time in the park uh, around yep. the back. Uh, just walk around that part. I, I usually I like morning practice there. I'll put in my headphones and watch and like we'll listen to IndyCar radio and just walk around the park, uh, and you'll see two or three different corners there. Um, I, I don't expect you to know where this is, but you, you'll probably f- seek it out. The little area next to where the entrance to the, me- the the building where the media center is, there's like a platform there where you're basically looking down at the track and it's right at the end of the straightaway. I don't know what corner that is, but it's pretty much where they're reaching their top sp- speed that's not on the airfield. So they're, they're flying basically right under you because the platform noisy. you're standing on. Yeah, and it kind of echoes, uh, it echoes onto the building, so it's it's very noisy. Uh, um, there's there's also a spot that I found at the end of last year that I wish I knew at the beginning of last year. Uh, during the race, uh, I went out to the Road to Indy paddock, which if you cross the bridge, go left like you were trying to get to the outside turn one grandstands. Uh, if you just walk up to the fence on the entrance of turn one on the other side of like where the pits are you can actually watch the entrance to turn one 
pretty well. I found that out at the finish of last year, and I was like, man, wish I would have known about this for the start. So when you get there on Friday, just like walk around, uh, seek what spots are are the coolest. Um, stay hydrated. It's hot. It sucks. Yeah, it, sunscreen is a, sunscreen. is a good one. I'm gonna lather up this year. Uh, I would say uh, don't uh, don't. So if you if you're there just for the race, or hopefully you're there for qualifying and practice, uh, don't run out of the track right after everything's done. Uh, enjoy downtown St. Pete. Yeah. Uh, go to a restaurant. Go to a bar. Uh, get on a scooter and ride around. Like it is a cool city to be in. And I'm that comes from a person. I'm 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 a country bumpkin dude for the most part. Like I I like. I like my wide open spaces, but like St. Pete is a very nice city um, and it's a good place, a, a chill place to, to, to spend uh, some time and hang out with friends or maybe make some new ones. Yeah. Specifically look up the local places. Cause I know David and I, every year we we'd go to like the Ford's garage. Ford's garage. He, yep. well, that's a chain. Go find like a local restaurant, go support the local restaurants down there and uh, not sponsored, but I know that they're the, there, there's the most scooters there, but look up VO, VO, and just lit, like all you have to do is put in like 15 or 20 bucks and you're good for the weekend. So you can park anywhere in downtown, download the VO app and ride a scooter. And then like the closest scooter drop off point to the front gate is like just an easy walk away. So at St. Pete, you really don't have to walk much unless you're actually inside the track. Um, but yeah, the scooter, that's, one of my favorite parts about downtown St. Pete, we actually had a go-kart race there not long ago that I got to uh, ride the scooters around the, the city again. And that was, that, that that's probably the best part of that city, honestly, is you can just get anywhere you want to. Best restaurant recommendation? There's a restaurant on... I know exactly where you're going with this. <laughs> if, if you look out, I don't remember the name of it, and that's not very helpful. Um, it's the one on the pier. It's the one way we have to walk all the way down this pier. It's not hard. If you look on Google maps, it's not hard to find on the pier. There's a restaurant on the pier. There's actually a bar on the very top of the, of the building. So there's like a bar on the top restaurant in the middle and the bottom is just a pier, but all of it is awesome. The bar is awesome. Uh, the, the pina coladas are amazing. The, and then the restaurant is incredible. So and plus you're out on the water we did it at sunset last year and that was uh that was awesome well it's cool too because you can see the planes coming in yeah. um to the airport and really you can kind of see the track from there i would kind not of. recommend watching the race from there uh but uh it, it's a cool place to go uh in the evening for sure um we went to a good burger place down downtown st pete too yeah. i wish i remember the name of that that was uh, two years ago yeah 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 but we definitely in 2020 you, we really we we spent a lot of time in St. Pete, so we we learned a lot about the local yeah, we culture did. there. <laughs> if you just honestly walk around, there's a lot of restaurants. Ride the scooters around. There's a lot of restaurants in in places like they'll have restaurants that have like just like garage doors on the side that are that, that just they just open up. The weather's nice, and you can just ride the scooters around and find a restaurant that you know think looks decent to you, and you know it's it's a nice city. We got one final super chat from Henry Callahan, and he says Indy teams ought to score a championship, score a championship point for a fire livery like Scotty's Penske. Well, Scott changes his car every race. So I don't know which livery you're talking about. I don't know. All of them are pretty great. Let's be honest. Um, the I, the 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 ones that are plain plain are like the Dex and the Odyssey car. 
But like, those if you are think the ones who wins in though. Gallagher, he won with the he won with the Freightliner car at Portland. The Freightliner. That's car right, looks he did. Amazing. Yeah, that's a cool car. The that, Gallagher that car looks amazing. The Penzo car looks amazing. The Penzo car looks freaking awesome on the on the road course arrow kit. Boy, I, I I sure wish it was 1988 and just he was Pennzoil the whole year. I know, I know, I know, boomer take, but man. And that was the other thing I realized looking at, and we'll kind of tie the show together here. Looking at the 2005 uh, IndyCar season really as a whole, but just looking back on that season, the liveries didn't change. Like Dan Weldon runs the Klein Tools Jim Beam car the entire year. Tony Kanaan is in the 7-Eleven car the entire year. The target cars are the same the entire year. Even the back markers, the Red Bull cars, same the entire year. Rockstar Energy cars, same the entire year. Pennzoil, that changed a little bit, but they went back to the yellow car before the end of the year. Um, like the ethanol car was the same the whole year. Like the vision cars, I guess, swapped their livery a little bit. But like the car, like you, every race you watched, the cars were the same. And the, the paint jobs were the same, I should say. And that uh, that's a big help, I think. A bigger help than a, a lot of people, I think, realize. So I, I know I've complained about it before. It's fallen on deaf ears. But I really wish we could get to more a place where the drivers drive the same car every weekend. <laughs> but a uh, big weekend of racing, Kyle. Um can you even begin to list all of the races that are uh, able to be seen this week? Uh, well, we know Supercars, Supercross is racing. Uh, we know we have uh, IndyCar at St. Pete. This is an NBC race, isn't it? NBC, yep. Most of the season's Big on NBC. NBC. Yeah. The only races uh, that are not on NBC are the Peacock race at Toronto and then the IndyGP uh, in the, the second IndyGP race. Road America and Mid Ohio are on USA Network, but every other race is on NBC. I'm cor- someone correct me if I'm wrong, but NASCAR has all three series at Las Vegas. So yeah, because Kyle Busch is racing there. in all of them. Yeah, a whole weekend of racing uh, on that front, and then we have F1 at Bahrain. So 10 a.m. That means all PM. three all three rungs of their uh, series are running. I believe um, so. And that me- also means IndyCar. Uh, on Peacock, you can watch Indy next. I actually got it right. Um, and that also means on YouTube, you can watch what used to be called the Indy Pro, but now it's... Well, uh, it used to be it used to be the Road to Indy, and now it's the USF Pro Championships. Yes, so but you, so can, you can watch, watch those watch, on YouTube, I believe. You can watch USF Juniors, which is kind of new for this year. I think USF Juniors... They were not at St. Pete last year. So but they, were, they were running... They were a little in, quick information on them. They were running like F4 cars last year, and now they have like a proper Tatis chassis. So it's like proper USF juniors this year. So I think they're running a, like, I, I think they're running at St. Pete. I could be wrong. Uh oh. We're, we're spreading miss it. Stop spreading mi- misinformation on the internet. Yeah, I, I, I said I might be wrong. So I'll tell you what, know, if they, if the, if the little kids do run St. Pete, boy, oh boy, uh, Tatis is going to make, make a lot of money because. But we have... <laughs> We have USF 2000 as usual this year. Look out for Matt Clark. Look out for uh, my boy Simon Sykes. He's actually in a Paps car this year. He's taken over the Miles car from last year. So and, and Simon almost won the race last year. In fact, he, I believe he crashed with Miles for the lead. Yeah, and it's and it's a good story because you know he doesn't know if he can make it past St. Pete, but if he has a good race, then things look good. So look out for him because he's in 
probably the best car in the series and you know on a one race deal so we'll see um a usf pro 2000 miles row has looked really good in testing um and one of the fastest drivers of last year yeah and, and uh, there's there's michael d orlando would be the other one uh, the testing at sebring had 20 cars in the usf pro entry list which is big ups from like the last three years uh i don't expect that to stay the same all year but that that's, that's interesting note goes. that i saw on the testing i, I want to talk about this really quick because this is fun so christian brooks ran in practice last year ended up tubbing the car and that was it basically for a season now this year so he has shown back up on the entry list guess who his sponsor is david who's the sponsor only fans wait he who? Is sponsor who? who christian brooks is sponsored brooks? by oh, only fans are you kidding me no oh he dude is, he is featured on only fans profile like he is, there are posts of him on OnlyFans profile now. That's how real this is. Well, I know where I'm beelining. Uh, <laughs> I know exactly which tent I'm heading for first. Um, I so go say hi to Brooks, David. Go say hi. To we're not only going to say hi to Brooks. He might be getting his own video because I think that's freaking. Yeah. That's some content right there. Go say uh, hi to Christian for me. For sure, I'm, guy. I'm absolutely going to say hi. Uh, it, now. We get trolled every now and then. Is that actually uh, the real SK money in the chat? Do we think? Is that really Sage? If no. it is, hi Sage. No. Uh, I, if it's not, no. Hi uh, person pretending to be Sage. Um. What? Uh, so the other thing to your car count point, and eventually we will actually get off the air, I guess. Um. But um, car counts up across the board. IndyCar. At 27, NXT, I believe, is around 18, mm -hmm. I think. Uh, 20 for Pro, and then I'm sure there's even more in, uh, in, in um, what the hell are we calling it, 2000? It's USF 2000. You have okay. USF 2000 and USF Pro 2000. There's all this one, okay. one word different. Uh, way too complicated. Yeah. But well, uh, one, You have to remember, one's USAC and one is IndyCar. So there's three USAC rungs. In IndyCar, they're, they're USF Pro, the USF Pro Championships are having a race at Sebring this year. And Coda. They're not even they're not following the whole IndyCar schedule this year. That's right. Well, yeah, there's there's all sorts of drama. I remember we heard about that USAC thing like yeah. way before it happened, <laughs> like way before it happened. Well, OK, uh, there is a ton of racing uh, coming up your way especially on this channel, I think I'm going to average around a video a day, probably more as I continue to find out things like the fact that there's going to be an OnlyFans car at St. Pete. I think that is just hilarious. And I'm looking forward to seeing what's going on there. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, so look for that 2005 St. Pete video coming out. I should have an IndyCar preview of some sort. I want to do a paddock tour and then obviously uh, going to be doing the daily breakdowns at St. Pete. Unfortunately, Kyle, as you heard, will not be with us at St. Pete, but uh, I, I imagine we'll see you pretty soon at the racetrack. And of course, we'll hear from you on the David Land podcast very soon. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next podcast.